Major support for Out to Lunch provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937, now with more than 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Online at joneswalker.com. Additional support for Out to Lunch from Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank and Resource Management, Inc. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're Out to Lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and economist. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Once a week, I have lunch at Commander's Palace and invite guests from the world of New Orleans business to join me. If you've even had a passing interest in New Orleans business at any time in the last four or five mayoral elections, you've no doubt heard talk about developing a biomedical corridor. What you may not know is that the New Orleans biomedical revolution is already well underway. At the foot of Canal Street, an office building called the Bioinnovation Center is home to groups of extraordinarily talented scientists who, with very little public attention, working on some pretty amazing inventions. One of the bioinnovation group is a company called Bioceptive. Bioceptive is a women's health company working on a product for managing pregnancy that could, without exaggeration, change the world for many hundreds of thousands of women everywhere. S.K. Karuna is the chief operating officer at Bioceptive. Tamara Cranin was, until recently, the executive director for women and population at the United Nations Foundation and is an investor in Bioceptive. Tamara, thanks for coming and uh, being with us today. SK, nice to see you again. Thanks to both of you for joining me today on uh, Out to Lunch. So glad to be here. Yeah, nice to be here. Yeah, it's so good to have you guys here. The, I guess since humans started walking around upright, this was quite a while ago, uh, we figured out where babies come from and we've tried to figure out various ways to manage pregnancy. Uh, one of those methods came along, I believe, in the 1920s when Dr. Ernst Grafenberg invented the IUD. Over the years, like every other consumer product, the IUD has seen times of great popularity and others when it has been far less popular. Uh, maybe you guys could start by telling us a little bit of the history of the IUD itself and what it is about the current state of the product that led you to see a need to improve it and really to come up with the whole idea of bioceptive. The history is, uh, just like you mentioned, it was invented in uh, early 1920s and, uh, and it, it's a great form of contraception. It mo evolved more as, as the time went on and in early 70s, it, it was booming out here in the United States, but unfortunately there was some problem with the, with the IUD design at that time. And it was only in the United States that they re realized that they were having septic pregnancies or some, um, some problems in the uterus. Uh, uh, and so, so the, the IUD had to be taken off the market. There were big class action lawsuits. So the IUD usage went down to zero so this was uh, early 70s and it was kind of off it the market for a number of years? Mid to late 70s and it went off the market totally in early 80s. Then population council stepped in. They did a lot of research on IUDs and they redesigned the IUD, which uh, is very safe now and has been, uh, this new IUD has been in market for uh, more than 20 years now. Is there a certain market you have in mind here that, that where the real need is? There are about 215 million women globally, 215 million, it's a big number, wow. who want access and education around contraception and have none of it. So I've, for example, been in clinics in Ethiopia where the women are in a line you know, all the way around the clinic and can't get what they want or need. 
I've also been in underserved communities around this country and even here in New Orleans where women want birth control. They want to plan and space and time their babies, and they just can't do it. They can't afford it? Is well, it they or can't the afford it, what is it and they can't them? access it. And we don't have the providers, which is really why bioceptive is so important. We don't have the providers who are comfortable putting in IUDs, who are used to it, and who have put in hundreds of them. So bioceptive has created something that's game-changing. And I've got to tell you, I stumbled on it. It was at the green market when I m somebody wow. introduced me to I'm Ben, the inventor. I'm looking for peaches, and you're, yeah, they, there's a... Well, I call the green market my vegetable cocktail hour. Okay. Because <laughs> everybody's there, and I always meet interesting people. So I met the inventor of this new inserter for IUDs. And one of the big problems we have in GYNs all over the place tell me, you know, I'm not that comfortable because if you don't do it right, it can be expelled. If you don't do it right, it can perforate the uterus. And I don't do hundreds of them. And so to have an inserter that's, that's sort of brilliant, it's all in one, and SK can tell you more about it, could really change the face of contraceptive use, both in the U.S. and around the world, because Probably a layperson like myself or you right. could go through some training, make sure everything's sterile, and then insert an IUD. And that is phenomenal because usually you need a GYN who's had a lot of experience. So I heard about this. I thought this is revolutionary. I got really excited, and I, I actually spent some time with Ben, the inventor, and, and SK and grilled them. I'm um, asking them all my public health questions and thought this is a fabulous investment. I want to do this. So I'm, I'm really proud and excited to be a part of it and can't wait to watch it unfold. And how will it unfold, SK? I mean, what, what, uh, how do you tap a market so gigantic? Uh, you know, step by step. <laughs> uh, well, right now we are in the, in the stage of research and development. We, are, we, are in the, we have developed a couple of prototypes of um, bioceptives inserter. Uh, Point to be noted is we are not developing a new IUD. We are just developing a new right. inserter. IUDs are great; uh, they work very well. But this is it's just the, the insertion lied. problem is yeah. the insertion process is the problem, and we are simplifying that. So our second Tamara prototype, she could uh, actually have me trained, which was uh, which would be an odd <laughs> career move for me, but I'm ready to go. They, they uh, and so I'm taking you to Ethiopia. Well, that'll be great. <laughs> Jeez, what a, this year's vacation? There's uh, a. <laughs> Like a good uh, social vacation, right? Yes, that's why <laughs> I can write this off. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> yeah, wait, if now, uh, so this is the problem. Now, you mentioned take it little by little. What would be the next step from where you are now? Next step is uh, we developed us uh, uh, a prototype which is going to which was tested on um, on bench which on gynecological simulator as well as on porcine tissue. It tested very well, and that gave us more confidence. And we are developing another version of the prototype, which is an improved version. And that will be tested on cadavers. And once it's cleared from FDA, then we'll take it to market. And now that part can, I, I know from following the stocks, that I mean, you just, sometimes that's a long period and sometimes it's pretty quick. Right. right. And since uh, you're very right, if it's a pharmaceutical, it's, it is a three-phase trial, which takes multi-year uh, trial. And it's, it's very expensive, can take hundred of, hundreds of millions of dollars. Our, that's why we chose to just focus on inserter instead of creating another generic version of IUD is that ours would be just treated as a class two device, which will take a few months to go through FDA clearance process. And now, wh where do you stand with Bayer, for instance? I mean, the inventor of the actual IUD, are they, that you view them as a partner, or are they they're happy you've come up with this? Or? Well, Bayer, Bayer would make an ex excellent partner because they have a great IUD that they have uh, been commercializing for many years, and they have done a great job with it. 
they could be our potential acquirers or partners. You know, they they can take our inserter and and put it next to their IUD and sell it together. Uh, that's one way. Or we can take their IUD and set it along with our inserter and we sell it. So there are various ways to partner with Bayer or any other IUD maker in this world. Let, uh, me, let, me, let me ask, and maybe this is more of a Tamara question, but uh, who would be against you? Who would be, um, who's your competition that would like to see you not make it? And sa same companies who could be our prospective partners <laughs> could be our competitors too because, uh, you know, it's kind of a threat to them as well because what if our inserter is really good and somebody else acquires our inserter or we, uh, we take somebody else's IUD and promote that and that takes, starts taking their market share. So we are, you know, that's always the case. Um, in other acquisitions also you see sometimes they acquire, you know, future competitors or competitors. So it's uh, our partner with them, you know, so that's, uh, that's how we see it. You know, I love is the fact that about half of us uh, drive by that building every day and have no idea what's going on in there. It's, right. it's really, uh, it's really <laughs> something. Exciting. It yeah. is. They, and Tamara, you, you uh, looking at this, you're, you're looking also at kind of the more macro thing. If, if women can control the, their pregnancies, that changes their whole economic, sociological. Absolutely, uh, it's, it's a trajectory thing. So, you know, we know that in countries where women are empowered, where they're educated, where they have fewer babies, where they delay marriage, the economics of the community are better, the economics of the country are better. When you invest in women, 90% comes back into that community and into their family. And this is a huge part of it. Controlling fertility is just huge. And, um, you know, most of all, women want it. Yeah, and I read that book. Was it Half the Sky or yeah, whatever? Yeah, Nick Kristoff's book. Yeah, and I mean, it just does seem like these countries were operating economically with one hand tied behind their back. I mean, if you just have half the population. If you have nine children, 11 children, and in many of the rural areas, Sub-Saharan Africa and Southeast Asia are our biggest targets right now, you know, they, they have no access to services, and, and they don't have anything in their clinics. And as much as we all, USAID and the other developed countries, try to send funds, and, and the foundations do too, you know, we can't make a big enough dent. And part of it is technology. You know, but, but here you say that uh, the thing that's going to make this work is that with minimal training, you can get people that can can be involved in exactly. this. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I'm from India and I visited India last year in uh, December. I, w I went and talked to a gynecologist who was working in a family planning clinic in a big city, actually the capital of India. She provides IUD insertion services and other family planning services. I went, but I talked to her about our device and she said, oh, I want to see it. I want to, I w this would be great because in, in rural areas, I, we cannot insert IUDs, and IUDs are the cheapest and the most effective form of contraception in the long term. So all the developing world governments are pushing IUDs, but they, nobody can insert them because yeah. they don't have enough OBGYNs, no, enough trained people. Here, a healthcare worker can insert an IUD using our inserter. So that's ah, going to yeah. be a game changer in developing world. As well as in developed world, it will be a game changer because if the pro procedure is so complex that quite a few OBGYNs in U U.S. don't do IUD insertions. And, you know, I think it's important to note there's a whole trend towards lay health workers or health workers who've been trained for about a year. So I'd say Ethiopia is sort of at the forefront. I keep bringing up Ethiopia because it's second most populous country in Africa and, and just in dire need. But they have trained about 30,000 lay health workers 
at 10th grade education, they go through a year of training, and then they have modules. Right now they have about 16. How to give a vaccine, how to put an implant in, which is another form of birth control. And they are just ready to have a module on, on inserting IUDs in a way that they're able to do it. The Gates Foundation, Save the Children, and others are looking at a way to take these healthcare workers and spread them around the globe and work towards having a million of them. So if we have a million of these healthcare workers, you can imagine what that in partnership with a bioceptive IUD inserter could do for changing family planning and fertility course, rates. Some of these places you're going to deal with cultural issues too. I mean, uh, very male-dominated societies may. Absolutely. Yeah, the, uh, you know, I've, I've asked you, I've, I've got to ask you this question, is, is how you came up with the idea. Like we have people on the show that, you know, recently we had a guy on the show who was great. He, he, they had invented a, uh, drinks that you put in a pouch like daiquiris and margaritas you could uh, you could drink like a Capri Sun and I can understand how he came up with that but how did you come up with this idea? <laughs> Actually I, I can't take credit for the idea okay. because my business partner Ben Capiello he came up with the idea he um, he is a recent graduate from Tulane University uh, from the biomedical engineering um, department he his mo mother is a nurse practitioner who has done a lot of IUD insertions so he, he and his mother were talking one day and, and then she was trying to s tell him that IUD insertions need more training and he said, an engineer always thinks outside the box or at least he thinks outside right, the right. box. So he said, why can't we make a better inserter? And he, he started on the process while he was at Tulane and, uh, and then after he graduated from Tulane, he wanted to make it, a, uh, make it a company and that's when he and I met, that was two years ago. Uh, mm -hmm. And I had experience in product development, product commercialization, now, I, I wanted to work on a technology to commercialize at that time, and this was perfect because I think it has a huge social impact, uh, as well as a huge uh, impact, as, a, as a, it could be a huge company in itself. And you know, I think it's important to note, one of the first things I did when I met Ben and SK was say, let's go meet the IUD experts of the world. And ironically, they're in Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, <laughs> so we went out to Utah. I would have got that one wrong, by the way. I, <laughs> 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 I know, I know. Surprise to all of us. But we went out to Utah and we met some of the people who study and write on IUDs. And they looked at this and they looked at the prototype and said, this is one of the most exciting things that's happened in our sort of technology and science in a long time. So we have kind of a nice stamp of approval from the people who study this day in and day out. And I've got to ask you, these, where would they be produced? Would they be produced here or somewhere else? Or Initially, they definitely will be produced here because we are, um, it's easier to do prototype development and you know, initial production here. And we'll see how it goes. You know, if, we get, if we partner with some other bigger player, we might have to produce according to that, uh, or we might, you know, it's, uh, that's still up in the air. That and that's still, I think, two, three years down the line. Well, okay, we'll be with you. But you know, this is the time of the show. We check our inbox, and our producer picks a question that's come in from a listener. Uh, Grant, what have you got for us this week? Peter, we've had a couple of interesting questions uh, from listeners this week, and I thought instead of trying to decide between these two ones that I like the best, I thought I'd ask you both of them, so see what you think of this. Stephen Harvey is the first person who wrote to us and said, New Orleans has fostered a thriving film business that didn't exist at all just a few years ago by luring big film productions here with cash handouts. Are there similar tax advantage provisions for relocating or building bioscience labs here? Which yes. I thought was interesting. Yeah. And then I'm going to ask you the second one so I don't interrupt you. Nancy Hurst wrote to us and said, how many people in the Bioinnovation Center are New Orleanians? 
Are our schools and universities in New Orleans turning out graduates who are able to work in pioneering fields of bioscience? All right. Well, Let's to answer your first question, um, there, is, there are a lot of incentives by the state of Louisiana to have a company like ours in uh, here. You know, we, we could have actually moved to Boston area or San Francisco Bay Area because those are the two hubs of entrepreneurship in this country, actually around the world, especially medical device entrepreneurship. But we chose New Orleans. You know, there are a lot of incentives that are in, um, in, in bioinnovation, uh, going on for bioinnovation, especially R&D. Now, these state, uh, kind of state initiatives or city right. or what? So these, these state, state has this, uh, they give about 35, 40% tax credits. F uh, actually, not, that's not even a tax credit. That's a 40% uh, tax reimbursement for uh, any money spent on R&D work. Tamar, on the other side of the question about the bioinnovation center and such, you know, basically are we training people that can handle these kind of jobs? I, I think, I don't know which way the, the questioner was, was coming in from, but... Uh, you know, I guess part of it's thinking about in the elementary high school level and then the others are the universities creating the kind of people. What, what do you think? Uh, I, I think absolutely. And I think, um, you know, we're getting to build a city and to make it a first-class city and a first-class city both to invest in and to create. And I think it's happening all over the place and it's one of the most exciting things about Bioceptive. I mean, I, I will say I've never in my life invested in anything this early on. And I was attracted to it because it's my world, and so I understood it. But I was also attracted to it because I wanted to invest in New Orleans. And that sort of sold the deal. Well, that's, that's, the, well, that's great to hear. They, uh, all this you found at the green market. This yeah, is absolutely. amazing. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm going back. That's, that's, that's <laughs> the, uh, you know. That and some good shrimp from Cat. <laughs> <laughs> if you have a question or a comment, uh, drop it to us on uh, Out to Lunch Inbox. That's outtolunch at itsneworleans.com. Or tweet us on Twitter. We're at itsneworleans. Uh, let's take a look at our lunch money. Uh, lunch money is our out-to-lunch stock portfolio. Uh, when we, we build a portfolio on our website here where we're trying to we get ideas from guests that are coming in, and, uh, and usually we, we'll ask them uh, to give us a stock piece. And so I'd, I'd like to start with you. Uh, SK, what, what stock do you would like to add to our... Well, you mentioned Bear, uh, Bear uh, AG earlier in the conversation, so I think I'll put, put, pick Bear AG. One reason is uh, they have this... Uh, Marina IUD in their healthcare portfolio. <laughs> this, it makes sense. We talk about how big they are and all the other things they're in. And yeah, uh, they're, I think, uh, if I may be wrong, but they're, I think, 30 plus billion euro dollar uh, revenue company. Right. Uh, I, I looked them up. Revenue. Yeah, their market cap is uh, $55 billion. That's how much it will cost you to buy all the stocks. Right. So, so we'll invest in We won't buy the whole company here because lunches, you know, I didn't Six bring that much with, with me. And, uh, <laughs> and Tamara, what, ab what about yourself? So I would pick Lucadia. L-U-K on the stock exchange. And now you mentioned to me earlier, this was kind of like a, like a baby Berkshire Hathaway sort That's of? That's the way I think about it. And I've tracked them, and they really track about as well as Berkshire Hathaway. You know, maybe not quite as grand. Um, but they're venture capitalists. I think they're very creative, very strategic. They pick companies that maybe aren't doing so well and then shore them up and, and sort of make them breathe and live again. And um, I think they're very creative and really at the cutting edge of all the businesses they invest in. Why? So and so, they, and, and exit strategy, they at some point, once they fix them up, they either... They either sell them or they keep them and keep running them. 
Wow. And, and what's the, what did we say? The ticker symbol on this is? L-U-K. L-U-K. And then on Bayer, I, me- I forgot to mention that. That's B-A-Y-R-Y. I'm going to mention a company that we're hoping to pick up with my students at Tulane called Oxford Industries. And they're over in Atlanta. And they are the c- company that uh, designs uh, clothing brands. And what they're, you, would know, you wouldn't know them as Oxford, but you know them as uh, Tommy Bahama and uh, Lily Pulitzer and uh, Ben Sherman as the uh, lines. And, you know, it's interesting, despite what you hear on the news, consumer confidence is now at a four-year high, and consumers are starting to spend a little bit. So we'll see how, uh, see how that part works out for us. Um, if you have a suggestion for a stock to add to the uh, lunch money portfolio, drop me a line. Uh, my address is out to lunch at itsneworleans.com. Uh, uh, Tamara Cranin, uh, SK Karuna, uh, it's really quite amazing what you folks are doing here in the city and at the Bio Innovation Center and Canal Street. You're great examples of the talented scientists and entrepreneurs and investors who are transforming not just New Orleans, but the world. We're so glad you're here. And I'm especially glad that you stopped by and had lunch with uh, me today. Thank you both for joining me. Thanks, Peter. Thank you, Peter. Great glad to, to be here. Great stories. There's uh, uh, My guests on Out to Lunch today have been uh, SK Karuna, the Chief Operating Officer of Bioceptive, and Tamara Cranin, until recently the Executive Director for Women and Population at the United Nations Foundation in New York, and an investor in Bioceptive. And, Baron, you want to tell us where you're heading next? Heading to the Packard Foundation. I'm going to be the Director of Reproductive Health and Population, and we're going to think strategically, both globally and in the U.S., about how to change the world in terms of family planning and reproductive health. Wow. You have such a big picture guest. That's so great. <laughs> to find out more about Bioceptive, follow the links on our websites. It's neworleans.com and www.no.org. Our show is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday to Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music and dinner seven nights a week. The producer of the show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our web designer and digital guru is Cliff Brigden. Jennifer Smith is our researcher. Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can keep up with our continuing adventures in Crescent City Commerce by liking It's New Orleans on Facebook, and you can get in touch with us by email. We're out to lunch at itsneworleans.com or tweet us. We're at Out to Lunch NOLA. To listen to past shows or to get this show as a podcast, go to WWNO.org or itsneworleans.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting and WWNO for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. Until we meet again around the table at Commander's Palace, I'm Peter Rashidi. Thanks for joining me on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937. Now with more than 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Online at joneswalker.com. Additional support for Out to Lunch from Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank and Resource Management, Inc.